0: welcome into this episode of the hopeless sports magic podcast i'm your host taylor and today i'm going to give you my predictions for the upcoming championship games in the nfl that are going to be this weekend we got one game between buffalo and kansas city and then another one between green bay and the infamous tampa bay buccaneers and then i'll also give you my initial predictions and initial thoughts on the future outcomes of the careers of the upcoming quarterback class for the 2021 nfl draft cue the intro so we're going to start off in the nfc Championship game with it being between the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This game is going to be in Green Bay. Despite the fact that these two teams have faced each other in week six, Green Bay comes in the favorite, having been the number one seed and dominated really the second half of the season, even with a 4 0 start. This game is also going to be in Green Bay, where week six was in Tampa Bay and surprisingly Tampa dominated that game they were able to get constant pressure on Aaron Rodgers sacked him five times had two interceptions one being a pick six by Jamel Dean and another one that took it down to the two-yard line by Mike Edwards making it really easy for Tampa to punch it in a couple plays later and it just was a great showcase of Tampa's defense it's probably the best they looked all season outside of maybe the NFC divisional round game against the new Orleans saints. But I will, I'm still going to go with a little bit of a spoiler here and pick green Bay to win this. And here's my biggest reason why green Bay really struggled throughout most of the game. Definitely the first three quarters, I'd say, because of the pass rush getting there pretty constantly Rodgers trying to look downfield and just straight up not having enough time to throw a lot of cover one blitzes with an extra linebacker coming and they were able to get through whether it was Levante David or Devin White they really Tampa and Todd Bowles defensive coordinator for Tampa really mixed up the packages and the looks that they came in they came in with a, a lot of essentially the same play but disguised into different looks with it being three, three, five, two, four, six. I mean, all over the place, even just a standard three, four look that like he likes to use as kind of the base defense, but there wasn't that they were able to get pressure and at the same time kind of keep Aaron Rodgers contained in the pocket to where he couldn't use his patented improvisational skills, and create plays outside of the pocket. Devontae Adams did have a few catches, but there was nothing where he was really taking the top off the defense and they really limited big plays in that regard, despite only playing with one safety over the top a lot of the game. And it was Tampa, so they really controlled the running game. Outside of maybe a couple little bursts in the first quarter by Williams and Aaron Jones, there was really nothing Green Bay could do to get the ground game going. And the turnovers that they were able to force really made it easy for Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay offense, who really didn't do all that much. But because of getting a pick six and having to punch it in from probably a yard and a half out on another drive, they were able to put up a good amount of points. And they also later in the game on a deep ball to Scotty Miller there was a pass interference call so that put the ball right inside the red zone where I believe it was Rob Gronkowski was able to get a touchdown catch after that but I think we're gonna see a completely different outcome and a completely different type of game heading into this week I mean Green Bay is just firing on all cylinders they really asserted their will on the number one defense in the league granted Aaron Donald was injured but I still think that didn't make wouldn't have made much of a difference that offensive line was stout they were able to really gash them up the middle in the run game they found a lot of ways to keep Devontae Adams away from Jalen Ramsey so he was able to have multiple big catches in that game and then other receivers Equinemius St. Brown, Alan Lazard, Robert Tanyan all had some pretty quality plays throughout that whole game. And it was just a great all around showcase of Matt LaFleur's play calling ability and Aaron Rodgers passing ability. So given that I, I just, I just have a feeling that I think green Bay, I think Matt LaFleur and his coaching staff is going to be one step ahead of Todd Bowles. There's the saying that in football, that it's extremely hard to beat a team twice. Now, granted, Tampa was able to play New Orleans a third time, not just twice, but that was a kind, in a way, a very big representation of that ideology. Um, And I just think that given how, especially with how simplified a lot of what Tampa does, it's a lot of your guy versus our guy kind of thing, and hoping that they're able to come on top, out on top in a lot of these man- on man matchups but I just think that excuse me given that Tampa doesn't really have a true lockdown corner I think that's really going to cost them in some of these key situations especially given Aaron Rodgers ability to just take over a game especially in a playoff scenario like we saw back in 2016 in the divisional round against Dallas and then they're Super Bowl run in 2010 I mean he's just been a big game player and I think there's going to be a huge difference between a chance to go to the Super Bowl and a week six game in early October I believe so I think we'll see them come out on top but it's still going to be a close game I mean obviously we've seen Tampa their offense has steadily been improving as the years gone on And the defense has been dominant at times when they focus more on playing man-to-man and letting their guys be physical at the line of scrimmage and when they bring pressure without overusing it. That's kind of really been the sweet spot for Tampa on defense. I mean you can talk about some of the great plays that they made against Drew Brees and the Saints offense, but There are a couple things that I saw on film, courtesy of Rondé Barber's film analysis after the game, part of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers YouTube channel. On Devin White's interception, which was arguably the most important play of that game, Drew Brees actually had a wide open touchdown pass, but because of Brees' age and inability to really throw the ball down the field, he Try to force a shorter throw into coverage. And of course, it got picked off by Devin White. And Aaron Rodgers, although in his mid 30s at this point in his career, has still not lost any bit of zip on his ball or accuracy, heck, even escapability out of the pocket. He's not going to, he will take advantage of those opportunities that you give him. And I just think with a lot of the youth that's on. Tampa Bay's defense I think their margin of error is going to be very very small and I don't see them being able to keep it in that small margin so I just look for some genius high level play calling and just great setups by Green Bay I don't think this is going to be a kind of game where this is not going to be a sloppy game where teams try to give it away I see green Bay winning this. And it's just in a way that Tampa's defense is just kind of like, I mean, we, we gave it our best and it just wasn't enough. I just think they'll, they'll just kind of shrug their shoulders and move on after this. Granted, they do have the best quarterback of all time on their side, but I just don't think just the amount of the biggest, I guess flaw you could see in Tampa and Tom Brady, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is they need good run support and then solid receiver play as well to be consistently successful on offense. When that running game isn't there, they tend to struggle. Perfect example of that is the Monday night game against the Rams. Los Angeles was able to really take away the run game. Tom Brady struggled. Chicago did the same thing on a Thursday night game. They took away the running game. Brady really struggled. I think the key is again, it's very similar to the divisional round. Kenny Clark is going to have to have a very good game at nose tackle for this Green Bay defense. He's going to have to clog up those run holes. He's going to have to make it tough for Ronald Jones to be able to turn to be able to get to the second level, even heck, even past the first level. I think Green Bay defensively, the the biggest, the most important factor is not going to be getting after Brady passing, which tends to be the go-to kind of easy answer. I think it's going to be stopping Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette and the running game. So that way Tampa is forced to have to come out with some really complicated plays, maybe throw some hot routes in there, which has been a little bit iffy at times, especially when it comes to Mike Evans and Tom Brady being on the same page. And hopefully the solid secondary that green Bay has with Jair Alexander and Adrian Amos at safety as well. Hopefully they'll give themselves an opportunity to take advantage of that. I think that green Bay on defense is they're going to give up a good amount of yards and a good amount of points, but I think they'll have a turnover or two here and there that really is able to put Tampa in a, need to pass situation and that's just going to make things a lot easier for both the secondary and the front seven with a lot that's going to allow Zedaria Smith to really do damage in the pass rush and a lot of the Green Bay secondary to really make plays and take a lot of pressure off of Aaron Rodgers on the other side of the ball so I'm going to go with a 28-20 Green Bay win with it kind of being more of a closer on the scoreboard than it actually is kind of thing. Maybe Tampa get has a little bit of late life, but I think it'll just, it just won't be enough. So with that, we'll move on to the AFC matchup between Kansas, the Kansas city chiefs and the Buffalo bills. Obviously the biggest question heading into this game is will Patrick Mahomes play? And if he does, will he be a hundred percent after having that, I th- they the injury report says concussion and then neck contusion. I think it's a lot more on the neck contusion side. I think the whiplash just from his landing kind of caused the injury more than the tackle in the first place, which obviously I think is just a normal tackle. I don't. I think you replace Patrick Mahomes with Blaine Gabbert or Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we don't really hear anything about any of it especially considering the fact nobody really talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick when he nearly got his head ripped off against Vegas but that's beside the point Um, Kansas City obviously it's Kansas City they're gonna have that crazy offense they're gonna have some veteran guys on defense that are gonna make timely plays Tyron Matthew Chris Jones has now been through it all at this point despite him being a little bit on the younger side But Buffalo comes in as the flashy new kid in town with Josh Allen having really massively progressed as a quarterback over the course of this season. I think we give Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, a lot of credit for that. Stephon Diggs has shown why he's, in my opinion, a top three receiver in the league for sure. Top five. And This Buffalo defense has played like a strong Sean McDermott defense. They got a lot of guys that play together as a team outside of Tredavious White at corner. One of the top corners in the league. They don't have a lot of flashy names, but two guys that I think are really underappreciated when it comes to the national audience are Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. The two safeties that play in Buffalo. They're able, they're both very versatile They can both play and run support. They can both drop back and play deep and ball hawk. And I think they're going to be a big reason why I'm going to go with Buffalo in this game. I think they'll do a very good job of limiting Tyreek Hill over the top. And in certain situations, I think they'll both be able to somewhat be able to cover Travis Kelsey. Obviously, Kelsey is the best tight end in the league, so he's going to get his plays here and there. But I don't see him... I see them being able to somewhat limit him. I guess the equivalent of a of Kawhi being able to hold LeBron to 20 points instead of letting him go off for 35. But it'll also be interesting to see on that side of the ball if Tredavious White is shadowing Tyreek Hill or if they kind of move him around based on the look that Andy Reid gives him. I think either way, Andy Reid is going to be able to come up with some stuff that's they haven't seen before. And we're really going to have to see if Buffalo's defense is going to be able to adjust on the fly. And I think given the veteran experience and the time that a lot of these guys have been playing together for, I think they'll be able to do enough to limit a lot of these huge plays and a lot of this ESPN highlight reel type stuff we've seen from Kansas City over the last couple of years. And I think the other big factor that is going to help Buffalo win this game is – There's a lot of um, banged up guys in the secondary for Kansas City. So the worry coming in, honestly, for uh, definitely for a lot of these teams is can we keep the big plays from happening with Kansas City? I think Kansas City is going to have to be a little more worried than usual for themselves, given the offensive capabilities that Buffalo has shown throughout the season. I really anticipate them having some big plays. Stephon Diggs has shown last week, and obviously with the Minneapolis Miracle, he makes plays in big games, so I think he's going to get a lot of attention. So because of that, I don't see him necessarily having a monster game, but I see him sprinkling in some good plays and then taking some attention away so other guys can make some plays, like Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie and Dawson Knox, I think, are all going to be able to really do some damage in the passing game for Buffalo. And I think Brian Dable is going to do a great job of kind of sprinkling it around, getting everybody touches, and keeping Steve Spagnuolo and the Kansas City defense on their toes. So I'm going to go with a little bit higher scoring game, despite the fact that Kansas City has played on a couple of slugfests. Over the course of the season and last week, I'm going to go with 3527 Buffalo on a big time last drive led by Josh Allen with a touchdown to Dawson Knox in the red zone. So we're heading into this weekend. I'm really excited. I don't have any affiliation except maybe a little bit with Tampa, but not a huge Packers guy. So I'll probably still be rooting for Tampa, but I just think this AFC championship game has the potential to be an all time classic. So I'm going to be super stoked to watch both of these games this weekend. And now with a quick break, we'll head to part two of the show. Welcome back to the hopeless sports magnet podcast. So as I said, at the start of the show, I'm gonna give you my initial predictions. Of course, this is pre combine, so and pre pro day. So this is not. We haven't really seen all of the, I guess, eye test stuff with all of these quarterback prospects. But I still think there's plenty of film on most of the quarterbacks out to where I think I could make um, a pretty um, solid prediction as to what. I expect for their NFL careers. And I mean, hopefully I can be pretty accurate with this one. Obviously, I had um Justin Herbert as the best quarterback out of the previous class and he won offensive rookie of the year. And then I expected Tua to really struggle and didn't start out as the starter came in and turnovers were an issue. He got benched multiple games. So obviously Tua has been a bust so far in this career. Although I don't want to say full on is yet or that Herbert is the best because obviously it's just been their rookie years. So it's going to be, it's kind of a bit premature to have any kind of those predictions. I mean, look at how much Carson Wentz progressed in year two and then regressed after that. So First off, we're going to start off with the guy that's pretty much been the consistent number one overall pick throughout for this class, probably going back almost to his high school days, and that is Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson University in Cartersville, Georgia. So right now, Jacksonville has the first overall pick, and I think that's really going to have an impact on Trevor's career. They also have the most cap space in the league, so it'll be interesting to see how they use all that cap space if they continue to build up the defense or if they add some weapons on the offensive side of the ball or if they do both. And, of course, Urban Meyer comes in as the new head coach for Jacksonville. The biggest thing that this guy reminds me of, not not just in terms of film, but in terms of just circumstances I think he's going to end up with, is John Elway. He's got tremendous arm talent and tremendous intangibles. The He has no real weakness. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but obviously arm strength isn't the most important aspect of being a quarterback. He sees the field well, which is number one, and then he has very good accuracy on top of that. Did lose in the semifinal to Ohio State, but that was much more because of really a... A really bad performance by Clemson on the defensive side of the ball and Trevor has never really never really played a bad game in college I mean you look at the losses that Clemson's had over the past few years and they've been to due to I mean obviously Ohio State had really bad quarterback play Notre Dame game he was out due to COVID protocol so he wasn't even playing in that game and then They lost to LSU, which was really just a generational team with a ton of talent. And I believe like seven guys went to the NFL from that team. And I mean, those three losses are the pretty much the only are the only losses that Trevor Lawrence has had at Clemson his entire career. So that alone just really shows the kind of talent that we're working with here. Um I think in another way that we're gonna see him being similar to John Elway is I think we're gonna see constant high production, really high numbers, especially in an Urban Meyer offense. But I think we're gonna see him just come up just a little bit short throughout his entire career. Maybe he has that John Elway run where he has a very good Um, running game and defense to support him uh, if he's older but I think we're still gonna we're gonna see a lot of production maybe he runs into Kansas City a couple of times in the AFC if we look a little more long term maybe it's Buffalo given that Kansas City is heading for some cap trouble in a couple of years give with the fact that big time players are getting out of the rookie deals I mean Travis Kelsey isn't the youngest guy but If we really project the whole AFC going out, I think it's looking like those are the two teams that could be giving him trouble. Maybe Miami goes quarterback as well with the third pick, and then they are able to really transform their offense and become a big um, competitor to the Bills in the AFC East. But I'm going to go with having a very good, very strong career for Lawrence, but i don't think he's going to be the top guy. I think he'll be just a little bit of the second-tier guy to a different quarterback who I will get to later on. Up next, the guy that's been kind of just the little bit in the sh- shadows of Lawrence throughout their whole recruiting process from their high school days to college to now and that's obviously Justin Fields out of Ohio State. Justin has the highest ceiling, I think, out of this entire draft class with just his sheer athletic ability. He's got great arm talent. Where he is lacking, though, is his ability to read the field and kind of his... He really needs to refine his, um, I guess, mental side of the game. I don't mean to call him dumb or anything he's just I guess the biggest thing is he's consistently been kind of a one read quarterback he'll take a snap he'll eyeball his first read and then kind of sit on that and if that guy's not open he scrambles obviously you can get away with some of that in the NFL SEC fans will tell you it's because he's playing in the Big Ten you can get away with that blah 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 but you get to the NFL and you have to follow read progressions. He has shown the ability. He can look off a safety pretty well. If he needs to throw a bomb to the opposite side of the field, obviously that's what he did against Clemson very well in the semifinal game. But I think he's going to be, he's going to come in with a high ceiling, but still a bit of a work in progress. It's really going to depend On how Robert Sala's staff handles him coming in. If they draft him, that's who I anticipate to get him because I don't really see them getting, keeping Sam Darnold, although there have been rumors that they might get Deshaun Watson. I think Houston will come to their senses and really just kind of keep Deshaun Watson there for now. But it's, he's the biggest. Highest ceiling, but also the lowest floor. I guess he's a very, he's the closest thing to a boomer bust prospect in this draft class. Just given the fact that he's got a lot of athletic ability, a lot of arm strength and accuracy to work with, but there's still a lot of aspects that he needs to refine. We saw a little bit of progression last year at Ohio State, but then I think a little bit of regression this year and I think that's kind of exposed some of the weaknesses in his game and that's what I think really caused him to struggle at times throughout the regular season of this um, shortened Big Ten schedule that Ohio State had so big question mark I guess for Justin Fields and we really don't know it really depends on who drafts him and where he goes as far as coaching staff now we move on to the guy that doesn't have isn't the flashiest guy in the world but I think could carve out a solid career and that is Mac Jones. I've actually said before that I think Mac Jones will have a better NFL career than Tua Tagovailoa. Some Bama fans might say that I'm crazy for that, but just to have a short bit of a short explanation as to why the biggest thing that i see when i watch tape of mac jones is poise he scans the field well if they throw the defense throws a look at him that he's not sure about he adjusts very quickly if there's pressure in his face he is one of the best prospects i've seen at having the ability to stand in the pocket and take a hit but still make a throw on the money and then he just has complete trust in his receivers doesn't matter if it's Heisman winner Devontae Smith if it was Jerry Judy last year or if it's up-and-coming guy John Mechie or even Miller Forrest all a little bit this year every throw that he makes he throws with conviction there was a throw he made early in the game against Florida in the SEC championship game I believe it was like a 20-yard comeback and he stepped into it like he was throwing a dodgeball at the kid that was bullying him in middle school. Like he just has complete and utter trust in his arm, even though he doesn't have, doesn't have the biggest arm, doesn't have the most accurate arm, but he understands the game very well. And I think that's, and Sark has done a tremendous job at Alabama. So I think that's really, Helped him become a refined quarterback. Obviously, being able to sit behind a couple of NFL quarterbacks has also allowed him to really learn from them, whether it's Jalen Hurts or Tua Tagovailoa. Best attribute he has outside of poise is his ball placement. He rarely puts the ball in positions to where defenders can make plays on it. It's either going to be where his receiver can catch it or it's an incomplete pass, which is this something is something that a lot it takes time for a lot of young quarterbacks to learn to avoid turnovers, which are something that can really make or break an offense, especially in with how passing heavy football has become nowadays. But I think I'm not gonna draft Mac Jones high here. Obviously, just because of his he doesn't really have game-breaking athleticism or anything like that. But I think given the right system and time to sit behind a veteran quarterback, I think he can really develop into a solid, very good, I would say not great, but good quarterback in the NFL. Maybe if he goes to, I don't know, like maybe a Vegas, if John Gruden's out of there, if he's, I think Seattle could work really well for him. Sit behind Russell Wilson for a bit, although Wilson might have good amount of time left in his career. We don't really know what's going to go on with Dak in Dallas. That wouldn't be a, such a horrible idea. I mean, given their kind of middle of the road pick in the draft, New England would, could be a possibility for him. I think what we see in his pro day and and, um, from the combine, given just what we know about him personality wise, I think he'll do well in the Wonderlick test and the kind of mental game kind of stuff. Um, I think he can do well in that where I think other quarterbacks are going to struggle looking at you, um, Justin Fields and possibly Trey Lance. I mean, we don't know too much given that Lance only played one game in, um, FCS ball this past season. So there's a lot of questions there, but I'm going to go with good, not great for Mac Jones. And now we go to the guy that I think is going to be possibly the biggest bust out of this draft class. And that is Trey Lance. Reason I say that is this guy has the, the flashy, um, abilities, the stuff that looks really good on a screen, but there are certain things that when you, it gets to the more refined aspects of the NFL game, I think he really struggles. He's got a huge arm, cannon for an arm, but he's not very accurate. His ball placement isn't great. And he is mobile, but he almost relies too much on it. He doesn't really like to go through a read progression. He's kind of similar to Justin Fields is very much one read and bail. And I think he'll have a lot more of an adjustment to the NFL just because of the fact he's played FCS ball. So there's just a massive talent gap, even more so from the college to the NFL, like there already is playing from FCS to FBS is enough of a jump. So I think that could cause issues for him as well and I just he worries me that even if he has if he has a good career I feel like it could be a shortened career because you look at a not only is he just is he a scrambling quarterback like a lot of the other quarterbacks in this class but he rarely runs out of bounds and he rarely slides there's a lot of times where he's kind of dropped his shoulder and almost tried to beast mode some defenders in the open field and you can't really do that at the NFL level that's how you end up getting yourself hurt that's how you shorten your career and his eagerness to kind of run guys over I think it's gonna take some time and he could put some extra wear and tear on his body that's gonna worry some of the um, guys up in the front office for whichever team he gets drafted by and I just think he's got a lot of stuff that he's he he's definitely going to have growing pains. And with how the NFL's worked and the immediate success that a lot of guys are expected to have, I think there's a good chance that he just runs out of time on his development before he's really able to blossom into a very good quarterback that he has a chance to be. So I'm thinking that Because of all that, Trey Lance is probably going to be the biggest bust in the 2021 NFL draft class among the quarterbacks. Now to finish it off, this is the guy that, if you're keeping track, you've probably narrowed it down to this guy as the last one. But this is the guy that I think is going to be the best quarterback prospect out of this draft. And he's from... BYU and his name is Zach Wilson this guy very similar to Trevor Lawrence has very few weaknesses in his game maybe he's he's a little bit undersized but there's been a multiple quarterbacks that have really shown that that's not as much of a of an issue anymore you look at Russell Wilson Drew Brees Kyler Murray there's Height is becoming less and less of a factor. And honestly, with me, with how much some of these guys that have the typical NFL quarterback bodies have struggled. you look at Blaine Gabbert, who's basically been a career backup. Jared Goff has now become one of the more overpaid quarterbacks in the league. It's not really a big factor for me at all. And then this also, this kid is just... He's he's a winner, he's a big game player, and he he never seems rattled. He's always under control, whether he's scrambling out of the pocket, he knows when to get out of bounds, he knows when to make that extra effort to get the ball in the end zone. He has big-time great ball placement. He has He's clearly been able to develop a relationship with a lot of his receivers at BYU, and that really showed in some of the throws he was able to make over the course of this past couple of seasons. And what really sticks out the most to me, this is by far his biggest strength. He is elite at throwing the ball outside the numbers. I have never seen a prospect who gets the ball outside the numbers so quickly to where it's not an issue. If it's not an issue that a defender might break on the ball and be able to make a play because the ball gets there timing wise as if it's at the hash or if it's even in the middle of the field at times. He's got great mobility. They'll definitely, at least for the early part of his career, be able to run a lot of maybe quarterback draws, little read option stuff. RPO he's cr- at the college level at this point. So RPOs definitely are in the back pocket. There's just a lot of you can do with this guy. He's played under center at times, whereas a lot of guys, especially look at Justin Fields at Ohio State, were constantly working out of shotgun. He's worked out of under center, so that's not going to be something that they'll have to develop. There's no Joe Flacco situation with him as far as that goes. And he's just got tremendous arm strength and accuracy and poise, which are the I guess the trifecta as to what I look for when it comes to quarterback prospects, the one weakness that worries me a little bit, although I think it's a quick fix, he could even fix this prior to the draft. I think it's something that if he works with Jordan Palmer or one of these other, um, I guess, quarterback whisper type coaches, he can improve it on with a quick fix. And that is, He does tend to hold the ball a little low at times. So if say there's a a speed rush comes from his backside, despite his pocket awareness, I think there is a chance there is at least one point where he doesn't see a guy coming and he can increase his chance to have turnovers. It does slow down his release a little bit. He doesn't have, he still has a very quick release, but I think if he improves his um, mechanics, as far as how he holds the ball pre-snap, I think he'll be able to speed up his release and I think it does kind of end up in a way forcing him to, causing him to get a little lazy with his footwork, but he's, that could also just be with, um, his natural athletic ability. I mean, Josh Allen is quite mobile, but he would still stand a little bit flat footed at times just with the ability that he has to kind of bounce out of the pocket and escape and improvise a little bit, but I think it's just, both of those are just quick fix little things. Um, He could work on maybe a little bit throwing the ball to the middle of the field, but I think, I mean, he showed a good bit of that in college and I think it's just the offense that they ran at BYU where he's throwing outside the numbers a lot. So given just the poise that this guy has He's got poise, he's got arm talent, he's got mobility for the modern NFL. So Zach Wilson, I think, is going to be the guy out of this 2021 quarterback class when it's all said and done, even in this very quarterback-heavy draft class. So that concludes the show. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TaylorBell222 and make sure to give a like and a follow to on the podcast for whichever platform you listen to and a share. So that way I can grow the podcast and gain more listeners and give you guys the content you want to hear. Thanks again for listening. This is the hopeless sports magic podcast.